Good afternoon. Okay. Alrighty, please take your Bibles, notepads, and pens, and turn with me to the Gospel of John. We're going to pick up where we left off. Now, in walking through here, we're doing a slow, methodical, just uh, using the three points of the Christian faith, the three points of Bible study. We see interpretation, application, demonstration. Interpretation is the what, the what of the narrative, what it's specifically saying. And we back up, go again through slowly, taking a look at the how. How is it being said, the specific words and the pictures and the images. How it's being represented, we see the feelings, the details, the meanings of the words. And so not just a what, a base reading, but we then go into learning how to study. Now, interpretation and application is the difference between reading and studying the Word of God. Many are familiar with Scripture, familiar with the stories. They can quote the context, the what, but they struggle at the, the more detailed aspects, the finer points of the doctrines, being able to uh, not just repeat it, but expound it. We're all called to be able to explain what it is in detail and what it is we believe. So we see the, the what interpretation is there's only one interpretation of the Word of God, what it says, what it means. But there are multiple applications that can be applied mentally, physically, spiritually, circumstantially. And then we see the third and final point is the why. Why should we do it like this? Why is this important? Demonstration, to be able to go live it, speak it, think it, do it. So uh, we look at these three points and walking our way through here, seeing what it says and then how it's being said. We can, it's, it's like painting. We paint the picture. It's putting yourself in the shoes. It's, it's not, you're not just an outside observer reading the story about it, but you're actually using your sanctified imagination, if you could say, and placing yourself there, seeing what's actually happening, smelling the smells, hearing the sounds, and, and you're, you're actually taking part in the story. This is how we're supposed to go through this, not just being familiar with it, but living it as it is the living Word of God. So we are to... We are called to make this alive to ourselves. <clears throat> and so, in walking through, you know, going through John chapter 3, we see, like for example, the story of Nicodemus. And different points there is to see the, the private meeting that they had. But think about uh, the placing yourself there in the room with them, that both sitting at the table, talking about these things. And Nicodemus says, how can these things be? And Jesus, in all grace and love and, and comfort, he, he expounds, he explains it to him. And we see that, that personableness in that, in, that, uh, in that meeting. And so we read about, you know, that they had this meeting, they said this, he said this. But actually look at the scenario and how Nicodemus wound up there and how Jesus, God, could see him coming skulking through the town, you know, at night. So no one could see, see him coming to have a meeting with Jesus. And Jesus, in his, in his room there, in, in his, where he was staying, could see him coming. In, in, his mind, in his mind's eye, he could see him coming and preparing this. Just as Jesus says, it was it Philip, and he says, you know, I saw you under the big tree. Now, Imagine the reaction uh, of Philip. As we're coming down, we see John the Baptist. And last Sunday, we went over in detail about the man, what he was like, 
what he looked like, his character, his personality, his attributes, and uh, the, the look of the man. We read about John the Baptist, but do you actually see him there? Do you have that picture of what he was like? And, and now look at how he was talking and how he didn't pull punches with the Pharisees and all of them. And how he stayed the course. We're going to talk a bit more about John the Baptist in John chapter 3. <coughs> We're going to back up to uh, verse 26. <clears throat> all right. So John chapter 3, backing up to <coughs> verse 26. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. Let's pray. Now, Father, we do thank you for this day, this time. And Lord, I pray that you please help us with this study, that you would teach us, you'd speak to us. Lord, that you would expound your truth to us and help us to understand. I pray you bless this meeting, and Lord, you put a great hedge of protection about us. And we ask all this in the name of our Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, so John was building up a lot of notoriety. A lot of people hearing about him going all through the known land. Everybody was coming. There's multitudes. When you cross-reference the Gospels and you take a look at the story of John, you see that it wasn't just a smattering of people. That very similar to like when you see in aspects of Jesus would be preaching, it says all the, the cities round about would empty and come to him. None of the shows, none of the movies ever portray this properly. They never do. Uh, the sea of people that, that were coming. Now, the, very similar is John here, is we read that they perceived him as a prophet. So he's, uh, suddenly, after 400 years of silence, a prophet of God suddenly is on the scene. You're telling me that all the cities around about wouldn't be emptying out come near him? We see all the people. We see the Pharisees and the Sadducees. We see the Roman soldiers even. Because, well, all of a sudden a whole bunch of Jews are gathered together during the occupation of Rome. They're gathered together at one spot. I'm sure Rome would be a little nervous what's going on. So they'd be sending soldiers, keep an eye. But they're getting a, an earful too. It says uh, <clears throat> people are coming to hear him. And so this would also bring up a lot of questions to the people. Who exactly are you? What's going on? Well, what, what is happening? And they want more information regarding the person. As we see uh, as, uh, in verse 26, And there came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, whom thou bearest witness. Now, with this, you see uh, back in uh, uh, John 1, where John the Baptist is talk, talking about these things. Is it John 1 or is John 2? I don't want to get it wrong. Yeah, um, yeah, it's John chapter 1 and verse 33. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same as he which baptized with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record, this is the Son of God. Now, like I said, John is there at the River Jordan preaching. And there's multitudes of people. All right, we're not told number, but we can we can speculate pretty pretty easily that there would have been a vet, like thousands upon thousands of people there listening. And John bear record that this is the Son of God. So before all of these people, so this brings up the question: Did the Jews know who Jesus was? Went on over that before, but simply to say, yes, they knew who he was because of this and many other things that had occurred. But John, as a prophet, they perceived him a prophet, 
speaking by the power of God, says, Behold the Lamb of God. He shall baptize the Holy Ghost into the fire. And he points him out to who he is. Behold the Son of God. They knew that all, all eyes of all the multitude would have turned and they'd be looking directly at Jesus, where John's pointing. That's what was going on there. So we paint the picture. We read about John Bear record. What would that would have looked like? See, I've been asking this question a lot online. It is uh, to get people to think more about what they're reading. You read about godliness according to the standard of God. What, is, what would that look like? Dying to self. What would that look like? And everything that you do, even in eating and drinking, dwell to the glory of God. What does that look like? So place yourself there. Actually, it, detail the scriptures to yourself in this way. Look at the multitudes all now looking of all the, from the beggars to the rich to the uneducated to the Pharisees to soldiers. All eyes are now on Christ. That'll preach. All eyes are on Christ. Behold, the same, as they say, say to John, whom thou bearest witness, the same, he's also baptizing, and everybody's coming to him. Everybody's coming to him. Well, let's take a look at James chapter 4, verse 8, just for a moment. James chapter 4. Now, you have to take a look at... The attitude, the reason, the people are coming. What are they coming to hear? Are they, are they coming to hear a prophet of God? Many are. Are many coming to, uh, because they're just looking for something to do? Possibly. Are they coming to see a reed shaking in the wind? But the thing is, they're coming and they're listening to what John is saying. And they are listening, getting convicted, and they're repenting and they're believing. See, James 4 verse 8, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. He will draw nigh to you. So they, they were coming to hear and to listen, and they were believing. And we see great revival is breaking out. John the Baptist is starting a mass revival. And, and how did he do this? Not by working miracles, but by preaching. And by preaching simply, clearly, powerfully. Draw nigh to God, he'll draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. This is exactly what John the Baptist was preaching. Make their crooked ways straight. This is another way of saying this. So another one, as we want to take a look at uh, Acts 17.30. Acts 17.30. Now, what was John preaching? Repent. He was saying repent and believe. Now, what is repentance? Is repentance works? No. Repentance is the heart state acknowledgement of the sin state. I see where I am. I see what's going on. I see what must be done. I don't want this anymore. I want that. It's a change of mind. So another way I like explaining it is like you're driving down the road. You're going this way. You realize you're going the wrong way. You should be going that way. So what do you do? You Repent on the road. That means to turn around. You change the direction, change the mind, you now go in a different direction. It says repent in the name of Jesus. Not just repent anyway, but actually gives us the direction to repent in the name of Christ. We see in Acts 17.30, In the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. And this brings up a question, is repentance necessary, a requirement for salvation? 
Man, you wouldn't believe how many people online uh, that I've seen, so many people actually actively, vocally, vehemently fighting against that, saying, saying that uh, you don't need to repent to be saved. Repentance isn't necessary for salvation. Well, the, I, saying that in that manner is wrong, but I understand where they're coming from because what they're actively fighting against, many of them, is the idea of works repentance for salvation. Like the Roman Catholics, where they have to maintain a state of penitence and repentance and the working at the continual atonement to earn their final salvation. That's what Catholics are doing. They turn repentance into works. But God commands all men everywhere to repent. So what does he mean by this? So, uh, so is he, John, make the crooked way straight. Well, what crooked ways? That's, that it's our crooked ways. Make ourselves who are crooked. Our sin makes us crooked and twisted that we are veered off from the Lord to bring ourselves back. The message of reconciliation, make their crooked ways straight. So this is what John is preaching, exactly what God is commanding. God commands all men everywhere to repent. What was one of the first messages of Jesus Christ in Mark 1.15? Repent. Repent and believe the gospel. So, so see that you're a sinner and that you need a savior so repent, in the name of Jesus Christ, repent and believe the gospel. It gives us a direction to repent in. That's what Jesus is preaching. The same thing John's preaching. The same thing as it says in scripture that God is commanding. This is the commandment of God that you repent and get yourself right with the Lord. Well, how can we get right with the Lord? By believing the gospel. All right, let's take a look at another. John chapter 6, verse 44. John chapter 6, verse 44. And here. So now the next question is, do we have power? Do we have ability in ourselves to understand, to be able to comprehend? Do we have it within ourselves, any, any form of capability to recognize and see that we ourselves are a sinner? Before we read this, one more. John chapter 1, verse 13, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Okay? So not by our power, our blood, our will. And we want to combine John 1, 13 with, with Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 to 6. It says that the Holy Spirit... It enlightens us, shows us, gives us the light of the taste of the glimpse of, which is then paired with 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, that the natural man receiveth not the things that be of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. So by this correlation, paralleling these passages, John 1, 13, Hebrews 6, 4 to 6, 1 Corinthians 2, 14, it says that we are literally incapable of understanding. We have to have the Spirit of God to give us the understanding so we can see that we're a sinner. That's what scripture says. So with that, with that then, the question, do we have within ourselves any capability of the natural state to be able to see and understand that we're a sinner in need of salvation? No, we have to have the Spirit of God to show us. Spirit of God has to tell us. Spirit of God has to reveal it to us. Otherwise, we'll never see it. We'll never get it. And with that, I would like to... Just share something I wrote on this. 
eternity's march. Multitudes and masses clambering every way, oblivious to their souls and living for the day. The sound, the sound, the footfalls of the damned, blinded by their sin and eternity never planned. Shoulder to shoulder, their broadways congestion. Hell's fodder marches, their destiny they don't question. Listen, O oh saints, I beg, listen to eternity's mournful sound. Can you not hear the sinner's footfalls that abound? Do you see them truly for whom Christ has died? Or do you ignore damnation as it soberly passes by? Do you have a care and weep for all lost souls? Or do you turn your head and spiritually plug your ears to the hell-bound dole? We see that individuals in and of themselves are incapable of understanding. They have to be told. And as we see by John chapter 6 here, verse 44, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I'll raise him up at the last day. So we see that in our state, individuals will just march straight to hell without question. They won't question it. They'll be oblivious to it. They won't even see the fire. They won't smell the smoke. They won't feel the heat. They're, there's literally no idea. They're blinded by their sin. The, the God of this world has blinded the minds of them. They don't see it. They don't get it. They don't understand. God is the one that has to draw them, enlighten them, teach them, help them to see and understand and grasp this. So with this, then, John is standing there. It's not his power, his understanding. It's not even his words. It's not his ability to string a phrase. He didn't call them. He didn't draw them. God just said, go over here, stand here, say these words. I will draw the crowd. I will convict the soul. I will open the minds. I will do all the work. All I need you to do is just repeat my words. That's what John's doing. An empty vessel. So we see the power of God here. Giving us, uh, giving us a job, and I want to share one more if I can, if you don't mind. But many saints think that they have to draw the crowd, that, they, that it's a personality war, I have to somehow entice the people in, I have to maintain their attention, I have to keep them engaged, I have to keep entertaining them. I have to uh, uh, do so much to draw and keep and maintain and hope. But that's all the power of God. All that he has asked us to do is just go. Just go. Just say these words. And, he, and we don't even have to worry about it because he even wrote it down for us. He says, you don't even have to remember what I said. Just read off the book. It's that simple. Was it uh, uh, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God? Was that Jonathan Edwards? Where he, where he literally, he, he, he fasted and prayed and he wrote it out and he stood in the pulpit and he just read it. He just read it. And it caused such a stir. People were holding on to the pews because they were afraid they were going to plummet into hell. And there's a huge revival and all he did is he stood there and just read it. That's all he did. But it was the power of God that moved. Like the Spirit of God moving on the waters, he moves on the hearts and the minds of the people. It wasn't John's ability. It wasn't his person. It wasn't his personality. It wasn't his... His appearance, it wasn't anything. It wasn't even the inflections he put on the words. He just said words, and the Spirit of God wrote on the words into the hearts and the minds of the people. That's how it works. But a lot of Christians are afraid of this, and I want to share something. A 
called this one The Ballad of Nineveh's Evangelist. <clears throat> All he was called to do was say a couple words, to speak of God's mercy, to say, Thus saith the Lord. But he ran and he hid, his purpose he shirked, and ship's cargo quivering, Jonah was irked. He said he believed and said God he loved, but refused to warn others in the calling he shoved. Jonah, secure in God's grace and salvation, determined to hide it in his own satisfaction. To remain safe and secure without scowling eye, he'd rather all damned would just quietly die. His own fear of man overrode fear of the Lord, Jonah cursing the sinner and shows only judgment's sword. Conviction and turmoil as a storm God did bring, swallowing up Jonah's pride from Sheol, from Sheol he did sing. On land he was told his calling to fix it, a display of God's faith, the great fish, Jonah Zichthus. From the dead Jonah walked to bring life and repentance, Nineveh believing and sorrowed in abundance. The faithfulness of God and how far he will go to save a single soul, even if our lives he must tow. But how much more effective you think we could be if we acted like we said we loved him in all faithful reality? We say we have faith, but we hold all our words. Are we like Jonah, hiding them truth from the Lord? Jonah, caring more for comfort, is angry at the heat. God's blessing cursed, and worms like his apathy did eat. Our apathy, our worry, our fear, our stress, uh, uh, I, I don't know what to say, I don't know what to do, I don't know where to go, my thoughts, myself, I get in the way, I can hinder revival. I can hinder revival. And there are crowds upon crowds upon crowds around us needing to hear, needing to be told, and God saying, who will go for us? And like, like in what I wrote here, even if our lives he must tow, there's a job that needs to be done. And I dare say that we can benefit so much more for the Lord if we go willingly than God not having to tow us along. Jonah was an example, as you see, by many of the fearful, the fearful and the afraid, where they have their ideas, their feelings, and they don't see through the eyes of God's grace. John the Baptist, on the other hand, dead to self. He couldn't care less what was going on. Even if what he had to eat, he wasn't afraid. He gave it all to the Lord. He died to self, and look how powerful. This is why, part of why he is called the greatest of all the prophets, because he didn't get in the way. Elijah, powerful man, brought down the fire, fought against Ahab and Jezebel, and, and look, all he did, but he was so afraid and fearful, wallowing in his own self-pity, wishing he would just die. Moses. Powerful, powerful man. Look at all he did. Uh, one of the greatest prophets, one of the greatest servants of God. But he was so self-degradating and so, so afraid, so fearful. Look at them in Sinai. God had to send his brother to speak for him because he couldn't say it. We, we see so many down through here. But we see, what, why was John called great? Because he didn't get in the way. He didn't care. He didn't let anything get in the way. He, he just said it. He didn't care what they had to say, what they thought. Let's go back in John chapter 3. Now, <clears throat> to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. Didn't Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, and the life? And so we see John is, is not even fighting this. 
He wants this. And John answered, it's John chapter 3, verse 27. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except to be given to him from heaven. As it says in the scriptures, all good things come from God. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. We go before the Lord like the announcers. As we see uh, the king is riding to town, he, his pages, his servants who go before him, saying that uh, the king is coming, the king is coming, make the way, clear the way, the king is coming. That's what John was, that's what we are. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to go before the Lord, announcing him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. Let me go over to uh, Luke chapter 9 just for a moment. In Luke chapter 9, <clears throat> and we want verses 23 to 24. So we see John here saying, he must increase, but I must decrease. <clears throat> In Luke chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, And he said, said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Let him deny himself. It's one bit at a time. Now again, to ask the question, what would that look like? To deny yourself. Okay, context here that's talking about the faith, talking about Christianity, service of the Lord, following the Lord. Okay, but to deny yourself. Well, I talked about this the other day online. This is, in the context of this, is see, okay, let me just answer this with a question. What part of your life do you not want the Lord to be a part of? Well, okay, so and what is it that you are denying? You're denying yourself the authority. You're denying yourself the plans. You're denying yourself to make the schedule. You're denying yourself to how to figure out the problems. You're denying yourself to solve the challenges. That whatever it is, no matter what it is, you fill in the blank. Absolutely anything and everything, you give it to the Lord. That he's the one that figures it out. He's the one that solves it. He's the one that plans it. He's the one that makes the schedule. That you ask God permission to step out of your house. You deny yourself everything because you're a disciple. The disciples of Jesus Christ, they didn't say, come to Jesus and say, uh, okay, so we, Jesus, we need to go over to this town next. Uh, we, we need to stop this. We need to go and get something to eat. They didn't tell Jesus what to do. They just followed him everywhere. He told them where to go, what to do, when to eat, how to eat, everything. So it's the same calling here then as for us. You see John the Baptist, I decrease, he increases, he takes all authority. If any man will come after me, Jesus says, let him deny himself, take up his cross. His cross. Well, we, we talk a lot about taking up the cross of Christ. We carry the cross of Christ. What about our own cross? Well, what would that be? What would that look like? What is that? Well, yeah, is uh, our weaknesses, our sins, our challenges, our problems, our, our strengths, all that is our life that we are seeking to die to. We want to resist. And so we see this to crucify the flesh 
subdue the flesh and the affections and lusts thereof, we, we see also this aspect of every day. As Paul says, I die daily. Our cross, as we now see as well, in addition to this, is the daily work, the daily focus of resisting and fighting against ourselves. Which preacher was it? It was Ed Seeley that said every morning he would get up and say, okay, carcass, it's time to get up. Is, it, is, is your flesh, your feelings, your satiation, your personality, your weaknesses, what you want, your lusts, your desires are irrelevant. Everything's irrelevant. Everything's irrelevant. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily. Also in this, not just of the, of the fighting and submitting the flesh and the affections and lusts thereof, but the cross also of personal obedience. As you see, for example, the Bereans, who were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word of God and they searched the scriptures daily. Take up his cross daily. So we see obedience and the, the, the dutiful servant that will follow the Lord in all things and in obedience, in will of the Lord, in, in prayer, in fasting, in fellowship, in service of the Lord, putting the Lord first. And I have a term I like to use. It's called Christ mindfulness. Christ mindfulness. Where he is always on our mind in everything that we do. In, in, whether in eating or drinking, but also in, in all things. Like, for example, some people might raise an eyebrow on this, but just give it some thought. When you sit down to watch your shows, watch your movies or whatever, have you ever thought about watching a movie with Jesus? Now, it sounds weird, but think about it. Think about it. He wants to be involved in everything, even our entertainment. Even our entertainment. Now, what, what, what will happen, just give us a thought, what would happen... If you did that, you sat on your couch, you turned on the stupid idiot box, and you put it in a movie, but you're mindful of Christ the whole time. What would that do to your perception of what it is you're watching? You'll most likely turn off a lot of it. You'll fast forward a lot of it. You won't be, you won't be actually listening and watching and, and being entertained by a lot of the filth that comes out of Hollywood. Because the mindfulness of Christ brings conviction. It brings in uh, the pursuit of holiness, the pursuit of righteousness of the Lord. That my perception of what I think is right and wrong is thrown out the window. Because you're mindful of what the Lord says is, is right and wrong. And you'll wind up clearing out a lot of your library. So if we go, uh, go down here, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Context there, if you try to control your own life, your life will fall apart. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, you die to self, you give it all to me, the same shall save it. The Lord will bless your life. That's what it says there. Now let's go back to John chapter 3. So, John the Baptist here, and what he says in verse 30, John 3, verse 30, he must increase, but I must decrease. Okay? Ask yourself, keep it to yourself, in your own personal life, by everything that we just went over here. What would this, he must increase, Jesus Christ must increase in my life, and I must decrease, what, what would that look like in your life? What, the, what should that look like? But what currently, right now, does it look like? 
Could he increase more? Could you decrease more? You give that to the Lord and you ask the Holy Spirit of God, dear Holy Spirit, is there anything in my life that goes against you or your word that is wrong, that is hindering me, that is opposition? Would you show me? Now, you may say yes, you may say you agree with this, but you say you have faith. Are you actually truly willing to say that? That, this, that the Spirit of God would put his finger and say, what about this? Now, what if, not just a, a thing like we pick on movies all the time, not just entertainment, other things. What about ideas, beliefs, opinions? What if what you thought about this, what you believed about this thing or that thing is actually wrong, but you're afraid to actually change it, you don't want to because you have your, you're so locked into your own idea. What if what you have, what you're holding is technically wrong? What if the Spirit of God wants to show you something? Are you, are you actually open to change? Changing your doctrine, your mind. You see, increase and decrease here, but I must decrease. This covers everything. This is education, this is thought, this is doctrine, belief, opinion, feelings, everything. My life, my private life, home life, my everything, my work life. He must increase, I must decrease. It's one thing to say this in the safety of the church, in the safety of the home, but what about in the public? What, what would it look like to increase Christ in public? What would that look like? When, when, you're, when you're walking around town, like the one uh, I think I just read here about Eternity's March, do you have a care and weep for all lost souls, or do you turn your head and spiritually plug your ears to the hellbound doll? Like, uh, like the one man who Jesus put his hands on his eyes and, he, and he, he partially healed his eyes. And he says, what do you see? He says, I see men as trees walking. But you know, I dare say, and Lord correct me if I'm wrong, I dare say the vast majority of Christians see the unsaved public like trees walking. They don't see clearly. Because we, because we have our job, our life, our schedule. I got I to gotta go here. I need to do this. This needs to get done. And because of our busyness, we go past the public. We go past the horde going to hell. And we're ignoring them because I have something I need to do. What about taking time for the Lord? What about increasing the time of the Lord during my schedule? It's a thought. How would John the Baptist have gone, gone to market? How would he have gone to town? When he, he had jobs to do or things that he needed to accomplish or whatever, I'm just, you know, hypothetically speaking here, what would, it, what would it have looked like if John the Baptist went to town? Do you think he would have just walked into town, done his own shopping, done his own thing, and, and ignored everybody, walked past all the people down the sidewalk and just gone to the store, did whatever he needed and went home, just hardly said a word to anybody? Do you think he would have done that? Hmm? He must increase, but I must decrease. He that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly, and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly and speaketh of the earth. Now, an application here. What about me? Am I earthly? In my life, in my hobbies, my interests, what I do, 
how I interact with public or don't? Am I earthly? I talked about before, just something to think about. You know, we can, we can memorize all the songs on the radio, or our favorite lines from movies, know all the stats of our favorite sports teams, and we can, we can talk for hours and hours and hours and hours about our favorite topics and things, but how, how long can you hold a conversation on the Bible? Quoting scripture. How much scripture have you committed to memory? Now, I don't want you to raise a hand. I don't want you to say anything. I'm not accusing anybody. I'm just speaking just in general. This is this thoughts, ideas here just to get you to think, just to consider. If the shoe fits, I'm talking in general. If we were to eat and drink as much as we read the Bible and pray, how healthy and strong would we be? How long have you been saved? Don't say anything. Keep it yourself. How long have you been saved? How much scripture have you committed to memory? Okay, put that on one side of the way scale. How many songs have you memorized? How many movies can you quote? How much of politics can you talk about? Or other things, your hobbies, your interests, your work life, your home life, your private life, all other topics. How would you say you've prioritized the faith? Can you increase, increase Christ in your life? You see, we see as well the context here. It's not just putting the Lord first and magnifying Him, but also in my life, the weight the weight of faith, the weight of works, the weight, the sheer amount of Scripture, the weight of faith, of love of Christ is heavy, increases, is heavier. You see that? He must increase. I must decrease. Would that also mean plucking out the eye, cutting off the, the foot or the hand of that which offends us, that holds us back, that hinders us? What about hobbies and interests and all these things in our lives that take so much of our day, of our time? What about cutting it off? Done. You know what? It takes up so much time. I, I could be spending that time with the Lord. Would you be willing? Don't say anything, but would you be willing? Would you actually, actually, before God, be willing to do that? Cut off that in your life which hinders your walk with the Lord because it's holding you back from increasing your faith and service and spending time with the Lord. Just a thought. Just a thought. He must increase. We keep looking for means. We keep saying we want to increase. Everyone raises their hands when we say, who here thinks we need revival? Well, revival starts in the heart of the one who's praying for it. And what does it look like praying for revival? What does it look like striving for revival? What does it look like actually partaking in revival? What is revival? What is being revived? The Lord. How can the Lord revive in that which is unwilling to die to self? He must increase. I must decrease. Wait a minute. <laughs> this is John the Baptist talking. He has no home, no money, no clothes, no food. He has nothing. He has nothing. He's a wild man. He, he's, a, he's a 
beggar, basically, out in the wilderness, eating grasshoppers. He wears this, this simple camel skin. He has literally nothing. What more could he possibly decrease? His life, literally. He was willing to die for the Lord. He was willing to give absolutely everything. He was willing to give up society's respect. He was willing to give up his life, his life's blood, giving up everything. He was willing to go to the uttermost lengths for the Lord because he is worthy to be praised. He deserves it. He deserves our time. He deserves every moment. He deserves every tick of the clock. He deserves deserves this for us to, to be focusing on Christ mindfulness, uh, that active participation where we no longer uh, treat Christianity like deism, like he's way up there, but he's actually right here, right, right before us, right beside us, in person. He's standing right here, and he wants to partake in absolutely every single thing of our lives from the, from the big to the minuscule. He wants to be a part of everything, and how dare we say we love the Lord and exclude him from our lives. Just a thought. The question we have here in verse 30, what does it look like to increase Christ and decrease self? You say you love the Lord. You say you have faith. You say you believe the scriptures. You say you're a born-again Christian. You say you're a child of God. You say you're born again. Okay, if, if that's so, what does that look like? What does it look like? Think about it. Do we shut our mouths to the public? Do we shut our mouths to our co-workers? Do we hide our faith from the antagonists? Are we ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ? What would it look like? How would you describe that? What would it actually look like? And when it says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, what would it look like if one was ashamed? Would you describe that as silent to the truth? Silent to the public? Faithful in word only? How would you describe it? There's some things to think about. He that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly and speaketh of the earth. When, when the earth and earth's focus, lusts, vanities, power, comfort, schedule, everything that the earth has to offer becomes that which consumes our lives. We're no longer heavenly, we're earthly. He that cometh from heaven is above all. We're above all that. We come up from among the beasts separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing. Be holy as I am holy. Be perfect as he is perfect. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. So we see scriptural memorization, that, that our minds must be held captive to the word of God in prayer, that, that everything that we do, even eating and drinking, dwell to the glory of God. The steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. He delights in his way, and we're also covered in the robes. We're covered in the armor. We have the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit. We don't have anything left 
to ourselves. We're so encompassed and indwelt, the Spirit of God dwells in the heart of every believer, therefore in and out, up and down, every aspect of our being is supposed to be utterly consumed by the Lord. And my question is, why wouldn't you want that to be the case? See this? He that cometh from heaven is above all. Can you say, I'll, I'll end it on this point. Can you say, keep it to yourself, this is a message for personal revival. I, all I want you to do is think. I am not accusing anyone. He that cometh from heaven is above all. Are you from heaven or earth? Our Lord, I do thank you for this day, for this time. And Lord, I pray that you would please help us to think, to consider these things, Lord, to, to look at you and your word in a new light. I pray, Lord, that you would encourage us, that, Lord, that you would challenge us with this, that, Lord, that you would speak to us and convict us, that, Lord, if there is anything in our lives, Lord, that you would convict us, Lord, you would show us that we would right ourselves in you. We would put you and your righteousness, your word, your ways first. Lord, I pray that you would bring personal revival upon all of us, for Lord, we do truly all need it. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to be mindful of you in public and in private, at home and about. I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us, you'd encourage us. Lord, that you'd clear out the cobwebs, so to speak. Lord, I pray that you'd please enliven us, quicken us again in your word and your ways. That, O oh, Holy Spirit, here our teacher, I pray that you would Give us the ability to memorize, to study, to remember, to recall your word. I pray that you would teach us. You'd increase in us so much more, your learning, your ways. Lord, I pray that you'd bless us, strengthen us, you'd help us now. And you'd protect us as we go our way. And those, Lord, that are sick and that are out, out from here, I pray that you'd please comfort them, heal them. You'd help them to recover swiftly. And we ask all this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.